as you're standing, if you would uh, take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 11. Mark, chapter number 11. And that song uh, really is the main thing in our lives. Main thing is bringing glory to God. And uh, we should have that desire that everything we do brings glory to God. That that's our purpose and desire that we would bring glory to God. Uh, Mark chapter number 11, and uh, we're going to read verses 12 through 14. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, just a little passage today. Mark eleven twelve says this, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. When he came to find it, or when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And let's pray again. Lord, thank you for the wonderful service thus far. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would help us to have a focus and attention and a readiness of mind to receive your word and a willingness to not just be hearers, but doers of the word. And I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, Help me to articulate clearly the truth found in this passage. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd hide me behind the cross. May people not see me, focus on me, but may they focus on you and uh, your will and your desire for their life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And here in Mark chapter 11, we find Jesus who just entered into Jerusalem. And in verse number 11, remember we said when he did, he had looked round about upon all things. That's found there in verse number 11. Later that night, he retreated two miles away back to Bethany. And now the very next day, he makes his way from Bethany to a fig tree. And this incident would prove to be very disappointing because there was no fruit. The most important part of the tree wasn't there. I was thinking back to 1984, and I was just a child at that point, but I do remember this. But back in 1984, and probably some of you remember it as well, there was a fast food chain who tried to get ahead in the burger war and came up with a viral ad campaign and uh, recently, I think within the last two or three years, there was a uh, chicken sandwich war, right, between Chick-fil-A and Popeyes, and, and everybody was trying to enter that war and wanting to have the best chicken sandwich. Well, back in 1984, it was a burger war, and there was a viral ad campaign that came up, and uh, it was meant to show how big their beef patties were and how little the patties of the competitors were. It was Wendy's, and their ad campaign was, anybody know? There it is. Where's the beef? Okay, you all knew where I was going with it. In this particular ad, three older ladies were looking at a large bun from a fictitious burger chain with no visible patty in sight. And they commented how big this bun was. And once they opened the bun, a very small patty appeared. 
And one of the ladies famously asked, where's the beef? And she asked it a couple times in that particular ad. And she said it with uh, a little spunk uh, that uh, can only be found in one of those special older ladies. Well, the ad then switched to a video of a Wendy's burger which had a patty that was large and sticking out, making it the star of the burger. Now, why did they want to do that? Because the patty should be the most important part of the burger. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay, thank you. I may not get an amen on anything else in the sermon, but I'll get an amen on beef. Okay. Now, as we consider our text today, we need to ask ourselves the question, not where's the beef, but where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? See, here in this little passage, there are some big lessons for us uh, today. And so let's dive in and, and walk through this event and learn some lessons as we consider this question, where's the fruit? Let's look first today at, number one, the potential. The potential. In verse number 12, it says, On the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. So as Jesus wakes up and leads his disciples to Jerusalem the next morning, he had something on his mind, which is on the mind of many teenagers just about every moment of every day. He was hungry. And he wanted food. And uh, it is interesting. It's just a two or three short words. He was hungry. But in this little simple statement, it reveals some significant truth about our Savior. See, this was, Jesus was, the eternal God, uh, God who became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the Word who became flesh. He was the eternal God. He was the sovereign Lord. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, here it says, Jesus was hungry. In this, we catch a glimpse of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, while he was indeed fully God, he was also fully man. He felt the same physical needs and emotions as all of us do. In fact, there will be many glimpses of the humanity of Jesus in the coming passages as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We are going to discover his great love for friends in Bethany. We're going to see his compassion and commitment to the disciples there in the upper room. And we're going to see his agony and great burden that he felt there in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was about ready to become our sacrifice. And then we're going to see the unimaginable sufferings of the cross and how he, as a man, uh, dealt with the physical pain. Now, that wasn't the only type of pain that he felt, but yes, he did feel uh, some physical pain as well. So we serve one who has felt our pain and experienced the difficulties of human life. He knows where we are and how to provide for our needs. And I love Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, which says this, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to walk upon this earth and to deal with the pressures that you and I have to deal with, to deal with the uh, feelings that you and I have and the emotions that come into our lives, he felt a lot of those as well. And so uh, I love the fact that it just simply says he was hungry. And for those of us, this probably isn't the best message to preach right before lunch. But anyway, uh, he was hungry and, and maybe you can relate to him right now. <laughs> and you're like, I can't wait till you're done so that we can go to the restaurant and eat our, eat our lunch. 
but he was human as well as deity. Now, clearly, Jesus had power to create whatever he needed. And he had proven his power over creation many times. Remember, calming the raging seas. He had proven his ability to provide nourishment in the wilderness. Remember when he uh, fed the 5,000 uh, there in the, in the wilderness. He even had power over death, having raised the widow's son at, uh, in, in Nain and, and Lazarus from the dead. And, and we learned that at VBS on, I believe it was Tuesday night when we learned that lesson. This was not a situation that was any way out of Jesus' control, but Jesus chose in that moment uh, to not say, poof, let there be fruit. Uh, but instead, uh, he uh, let his, um, he, he in, in many ways laid aside some of his divine prerogative as he came to earth in the form of a man. He never lost any of his deity, praise the Lord, but he did choose to hide some of his glory and submit to some specific limitations. He did all this so that he can identify with us and the struggles that we endure in this life. And so Jesus happens upon this a tree and he comes to this tree going, hey, there's a tree that produces figs and I cannot wait to go get me some breakfast. Now, how many of you like fig? Would you raise your hand? I like fig Newtons. <laughs> I don't know how much fig is actually in there. It's probably more sugar than anything else, but I do like fig Newtons. Um, so I like figs a little bit. Well, Jesus was thinking, hey, look, look at verse number 13. It says, and seeing a fig tree afar off. So that gave him some hope that, hey, maybe there would be some, uh, some uh, uh, fig and some tr fruit on that tree. And it says, having leaves. He's like, hey, that's a good sign. This is a healthy tree. Obviously, it's it probably got some fruit there. And so he, he came and there was great potential for fruit. And he came, if happily, he might find anything thereon. And so there was tremendous potential. But I want us to see not only the potential here, I want us to see the problem. Verse 13 continues on. Uh, he, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. So keep in mind that although Jesus was God, he was also man. He was hungry that morning. The sight of a fig tree and the hope of a meal brought great joy to his heart. As he approached the tree, he was quickly disappointed, though. This fig tree had leaves. It looked promising, but there were no figs on this tree. Mark stated that the time for figs had not yet arrived. This does not imply that Jesus was expecting anything out of the ordinary, though, or that he was limited in his wisdom. In fact, Jesus had every reason to expect to find figs on this particular tree at this particular time. Now, while figs were more prominent at other times of the year, it was not unusual to find early figs at this time of the year. Consider the thoughts of Dr. Alan Carr. The fig tree in view here is not a bush. It is a tree. I think we have a picture of the fig tree here. The, this may not be the fig, the fig tree, uh, but a fig tree here. These fig trees can grow to a height of 20 to 30 feet with a trunk some three feet in diameter. The spread of the fig tree's branches can be 25 to 30 feet. In other words, fig trees can grow very, very large. Fig trees are unusual in that they can produce as many as three crops in a single year. The first crop is produced on the old wood. Early in the year, green knobs or buds appear at the end of the branches. They are called pagum. And while this fruit is not as juicy and rich as the latter fruit, it is still quite edible. And I believe this is what Jesus was expecting 
to find there in that fig tree. After the pagum appear, the fig tree will begin to grow its leaves and new growth. The fig tree is unique in that it can be full fruit, full leaf, and full bloom all at the same time. The first crop becomes ripe in June, the second in September. Sometimes there's a third crop in December. And so that's from a fig tree expert. Okay. And I am not one. Um, I, can, uh, I, I do not have any green thumbs at all. Uh, both of my thumbs are not green. Well, Jesus was disappointed because this tree had shown all the signs of having produced figs at this time. I mean, there were leaves, and uh, he fully expected to find figs available to eat, and he had a need, and he had a desire for those fruit, and, uh, and yet there was no fruit there. And while it was in full leaf, showing great promise for that, the tree's looks had been deceiving. As Jesus approached, he quickly realized that there was no fruit to be picked, and his hunger would just continue. Although the disciples probably didn't see the connection, this was a perfect illustration for the state of affairs in Jerusalem at that time. It illustrated the heart of Israel and their acceptance of Jesus as the Christ. Passover was quickly approaching. Millions of Jews would gather in the holy city to celebrate. There would be sacrifice offered in abundance of religious activity, but they failed to see Jesus as the Christ. The fig tree of Israel looked good outwardly. But Jesus knew their looks were quite deceiving. And so we see the problem. But then number three, as we make our way through this passage pretty quickly, basically the first three points are kind of introduction, and then the fourth point is the sermon. So I'm trying to get to the sermon here. But uh, number three, let's look at the promise. Verse number 14, as a result of the fact that this fig tree did not actually have figs, Uh, When Jesus came for it, verse number 14, Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. So Jesus didn't speak to the disciples that are around him. Notice he spoke to the tree itself. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Jesus didn't hesitate. He expected to find fruit, and since there was no fruit, he pronounced judgment on the tree. He had examined it and determined that this tree was to be of no future value. It was unable to produce fruit and therefore had no purpose for existence. And so he said that no man's going to eat fruit of thee ever again. And so he cursed the tree. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's skip a few verses and pick it up in verse number 20. What ended up happening with that tree? Verse number 20, And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So I have here something that my wife doesn't really want me to have. Okay, nobody likes weeds. But my wife likes things to be... um, nice and uh, healthy and non-toxic. And this is the opposite of that. <laughs> this is extra toxic. <laughs> and, and I got one that had extra toxicity in it because I wanted to kill the weeds that were around our yard and, and uh, around our driveway and in the cracks of our uh, sidewalk because uh, we have to keep our yard looking nice. And so I bought this Roundup. And, and uh, you know, you spray it and it says here, um, it says, rainproof in 10 minutes, visible results in three hours. 
And sure enough, as you do this, in three hours you go and you start to see some of these weeds kind of start to shrivel up and uh, start to fade away. And then in a few days, they start to get totally brown and, and then they're totally dead. And pretty soon, they just kind of like fly away when there's, a, when there's a big wind. And so Roundup is a blessing, regardless of what my wife might say. <laughs> so... I'm thankful for Roundup, but guess what? Jesus didn't need to use any Roundup to get this tree. Uh, Notice here it says in verse number 20, In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the, where? From the roots. They noticed that the death of that tree was coming from the roots. See, the Lord didn't need Roundup or any type of chemical to cause the tree to wither and to die. He just needed his spoken word. The promise was fulfilled. So the very next day as they passed by the same fig tree, and while Jesus didn't say anything, the disciples noticed again this tree that it had withered and that it shriveled up and showed signs of death from the roots. Now, this goes to show once again what God promises will come to pass. You can indeed stand on the promises of Christ our King. We can and should stand on the promises that cannot fail. Hey, look, while the howling storms of doubt of fear sail, by the living word of God I shall prevail. We should be standing on the promises of God. And Jesus here made a promise, and it came to pass. And the promises that he does make will come to pass. Some promises that you can stand on today. Well, the fact that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Aren't you grateful for that truth? And that's a promise that you can take to the bank that is true, whether you feel like it or it's true or not. You think, man, Lord, have you left me? I mean, where are you? I, I, don't, I don't feel your presence. That doesn't mean he's not there. He's said and promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He also promised that he would come back for us. John 14 and verse number 3, Jesus says, Hey, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. So he did promise that he would come back for us. And you say, well, it hasn't happened so far. Hey, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I, don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Uh, he, his promises are, are firm and, and, and sure. And here we see another so we, we saw earlier when it talked about his hunger, hunger as a uh, evidence for the fact that he is man and human. But here in this promise and in this curse of this tree, we find his deity, his power uh, revealed as he promises and then it actually happened. No man can do that. I can look at my weeds all day long and say, be gone, weeds. That's not going to work. I need to round up. <laughs> Jesus doesn't need the roundup. Because he's God, he can simply say, hey, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And that's all it took for that tree to begin to wither. Without God's blessing and favor upon it, it began to wither away. And so we see the promise. And it shows who he is. And it reminds us of the fact that we can stand upon his unfailing promises. Then number four, let's notice here as we really start the sermon, and that is the point. Why is this little passage in this? Why did Jesus do this? What was he trying to communicate to the disciples, and what can we glean from it in our own lives? 
I mean, what's the point of this passage? What did Jesus, or why did Jesus curse the fig tree? And what big lessons can we learn from this? Well, first of all, here's one of the points. The lack of Israel's fruit would eventually lead to a fall. When God's hand of favor and blessing are removed, it be, will become quickly evident that that was the case in the, in the tree. And Israel would soon be known as a people who once enjoyed the favor of God but lost it due to disobedience and rebellion. People may be able to hide the truth for a while, but eventually what is on the inside will be revealed on the outside. We cannot fake or manufacture the blessings of God. If we don't possess his favor, it will be evident to see. History goes on to tell us that Israel would experience tremendous destruction. That in 70 AD, Titus destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Following a brutal five-month siege, the Romans, under the command of Titus, destroyed the city and the second Jewish temple. By the way, the same will be true of those who stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment at the end of the age. Those who have produced no fruit for Christ, never receiving him as their savior and abiding in the vine will be cut off and cast into outer darkness and eternal judgment. So I guess the question is the title of the message, where's the fruit? Israel had all the appearance. Everything looked good. There was leaves. But when Jesus came to inspect Israel, there was no fruit. And so one day they were going to experience tremendous destruction, and they did. As he looks at us, he's not looking at how good we look. He's wondering if there's actual fruit in our lives, and if not, there's going to be judgment. Is there a way we can turn that TV off? Is that distracting anybody else? My, uh, my peripheral vision is like getting distracted. Um, it's a good test for my peripheral vision, though. I'm glad I have it. Um, but the lack of Israel's fruit would eventually lead to a fall. A second point here is that God is not impressed with external religion. It must be genuine and internal. So again, this tree appeared outwardly really good. It had full leaves. Verse 13 says... Um, he saw a fig tree afar off having leaves, and so it had the external appearance of being healthy. But when he got closer and really inspected it, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. All it was was a facade. All it was was a veneer. All it was was external. There was no internal fruit. It wasn't there on the inside, so as a result, there was no fruit. I think about Jesus and his preaching in the book of Matthew. Remember, Jesus was the lowly lamb of God, but don't forget that he was still God robed in humanity and that he had authority and many times was used uh, to preach really stern sermons. One of them was found in Matthew chapter 23 as he talked to the religious hypocrites of the day. And here's what he said in Matthew 23, verse 25 through 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he called them. 
For ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. He says, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are likened to whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So they were focused on the external and not on the internal. They had all the appearance that everything was all hunky-dory, but in the inside, where it really mattered, they were a mess. Faith, would you come on up? I asked her to help me with this illustration. She doesn't actually know what the illustration is, but she agreed to help me anyway, and that's a brave, brave daughter. I have this morning two cups. I have a beautiful cup here. This is one of mommy's special china cups. And when I asked her if I could borrow this this morning, kind of more told her that I was going to borrow it. <laughs> and uh, she's like, well, let me, let me clean it. And so she cleaned the outside of the cup. But on the inside of the cup, if you'll notice here, there is dirt that I got from back behind the building here, some dead leaves. I may have spit in it too. And so I have this beautiful cup, but inside there's a bunch of dirt. Oh, I put a rock in there too. Do you see the rock right there? Okay, yeah, okay. So I have this beautiful cup right here. And I also have this ordinary run-of-the-mill plastic cup. And it's not even, it's not even crimson. It's OSU orange. <laughs> so, sorry about that. So, I have two cups here. They're both filled with water. I am going to ask you in front of everybody to choose one and drink from it. So, go ahead. Take a sip. Okay. Are you sure you don't want any of this? I mean, isn't that a pretty cup? Are you sure you don't want any of that? Mm -hmm. You're sure? Why? Because inside, you can smell it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of smell dirty. Okay. All right. Thank you. You can be seated. Give, give her a hand here, especially since she didn't know what she was getting into, but I didn't make her actually drink from that cup. Okay. Here, here's the point. Which cup are you? Maybe you look right on the outside and everything's just wonderful and you look right and talk right and everything on the external looks just wonderful, but on the inside, how are you really? God, God would much rather us be ordinary and have a clean inside. Because guess what? One day he's going to come and he's going to inspect us. Just like he came upon that tree and inspected that tree and expected there to be fruit. When he comes and looks, he's going to say, well, I'd rather have this one then. I mean, that looks nice, but inside, 
According to Matthew 23, he said, uh, For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. God is not impressed with external religion. It must be genuine and internal. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, as um, Samuel was called to go find the next king of Israel after God had rejected Saul from being king. And so he went to Jesse's house and he went and inspected all the boys. And Eliab was there and, and, and he was a good looking young man and he was tall and, and he looked the part outwardly. Here's what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So God is able to see past the veneer. He's able to see all the past the beautiful china and the design and, 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 and the cleanliness of the outside and to see right into the inside and says, Look, no, no, no I know what the reality of that cup is. He said, no, Eliab, no. We need to find somebody who has the right heart, who maybe is kind of ordinary. One that, you know, hey, if you were to go to a store and say, I need to buy a cup, which one am I going to buy? Well, man, this one sure looks a lot nicer. But you know what? This one is clean on the inside. And when it comes down to it, when I need to take a sip, I'm going to choose the one that is clean on the inside. The Queen Mary was the largest ship to cross the oceans when it was launched in 1936. Through four decades in a world war, she served until she was retired as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. During the conversion into a hotel, her three massive smokestacks were taken off to be scraped down and repainted. But on the dock, they completely crumbled. Nothing was left of the three-quarter inch steel plate from which the stacks had been formed. All that remained were more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the years. Steel had completely rusted away. The outside looked fine and good, but the inside was completely deteriorated away. As I look across the room today, I see people who outwardly appear beautiful. We're here at church. We're here to worship the Lord. But can I ask, how is it internally for you, internally? Is it genuine? Is it the real deal? Or are you just putting on a show? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul warns us of the last days that would come and that they would be indeed perilous. And one of the characteristics of these perilous days is that men would have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Another passage comes to mind when I consider this truth in Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. Then while I profess unto them, I never knew ye. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, friend, there are going to be people in hell who did religious things. Who helped at vacation Bible schools. Who pastored churches, 
who deaconed. I don't know if that's an actual verb, but if not, it should be. There are going to be deacons in hell. There are going to be staff members in hell. There are going to be teenagers who grew up in church in hell. There are going to be uh, people who spent their entire life from nursery to the grave in church who never were truly born again. And they did a lot of religious things. Uh, Matthew 7 says this, Many will say to me in that day, many, not just a couple, not just a, a few, but many. There are many who have the outward appearance right, but they did not own it inside. It was not genuine. It was not internal. Is it genuine in your life? Is it internal in your life? I'm not asking how you look. I'm not asking what everybody else would say about you, but is it real in your heart, in your life? So the point of this passage is that the lack of Israel's fruit would eventually lead to a fall. And also that God is not impressed with external religion. It must be genuine and internal. And then, and then thirdly here, uh, our relationship with Christ will naturally produce fruit. If it is real and genuine in our hearts, and it is internal, and we have truly come to salvation in Christ, then as we abide in Christ, guess what it's going to do? It's going to start producing fruit in our lives. It should that's the natural effect. We have in our home, or outside of our home, for the first time anywhere in our lives, we have a little garden. And because, thank, thank the Lord for the rain that we've had this spring. Uh, otherwise, I don't know that we'd have a garden today. But uh, because of that rain and, and some of the faithful uh, watering of it by faith, I think she's the only one that really cares about that thing. We have a, a little garden, and we have a grapevine that has gone bonkers. And we actually have grapes this year. And I actually ate one, and it was sour. <laughs> but it was a grape that came from our garden. And uh, I, was, I was like, this is going to be so good. And I'm like, it's not good. <laughs> and, and, and the skin was like really like thick and, and tough. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, well, hey, I'm glad we got fruit anyway. Uh, see, the thing is, is that grapevine is meant to produce fruit. It's not meant just to sit there and look pretty. It's meant to produce fruit. And you and I as believers are not just meant to look pretty. Although some of you do a pretty good job. Some of you could work on it a little bit. Uh, okay, me included. But that's our, we're not here just to look pretty. We're here to produce fruit. John 15, verse 4 says this, Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Look, when Jesus arrived at the fig tree, he desired and expected fruit. He was hungry, remember? And he expected there to be fruit there because it looked like there would be. And as he looks at our lives, same thing. He desires and expects us to bear fruit as well. If we look at John 15, we're going to see that he desires that we would bear fruit, then we would bear more fruit, much fruit, and then fruit that would remain. This is what a Christian should be doing, producing fruit. And we can't bear fruit without him. 
And of course, this begs now the question, what fruit are we to bear? I'm glad I asked that question because I'm going to answer it here. First of all, we are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I have something else here I want to show you. I have here an orange. And what happens when you take an orange and you apply pressure and stress to that orange? What ends up coming out? So as I put pressure on it, look at all that watermelon juice that's coming out. No. What's coming out of this fruit is orange juice because that's what's inside of the fruit. So when pressure is applied, orange juice comes out. Okay, for you, when pressure is applied to your life, when stress is applied, what comes out of your life? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? When you are cut off on the freeway, what comes out of your life? Ah, oh, blankety blank, I'm going to get you back. No, maybe that's what we want, how we want to react. When somebody treats you wrong, how do you, what, what comes out of your life? When somebody mistreats you, I mean, what, what, what is it that, when you are facing temptation and the pressure of that temptation is on your life, what comes out of your life? Galatians chapter 5 doesn't just tell us the fruit of the Spirit, it also tells us the works of the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse number 20 or 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. When that pressure and temptation comes into our lives, what, what do we do? Well, man, I was just on my phone and this thing came up and I just kind of decided to keep going and following that path to somewhere I shouldn't go. That pressure when we're being squeezed and, and that feeling that pressure of temptation, which way do we go? Do we go to the adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings? Are these the things that come out of our hearts and minds and, and lives when we are being squeezed? Or is it love? Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, this idea of, hey, I don't, uh, self-control, I, I don't have to fall into that temptation. The fruit of the Spirit ought to be something we are, being, we are producing. So I guess the question is, where's the fruit in your life? Is there the fruit of the Spirit being evidenced in your life? Because we all have pressure being put upon us day after day. What fruit and where is the fruit? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? What else? The fruit of souls. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. 
the idea is, look, we're, we're not to just say, hey, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I've been forgiven. I'm glad I've been cured of my sin. But God's given us now the responsibility to give that message out to the world. Are we, do we care about the condition of those around us in our lives? Is there this fruit of souls? When was the last time you really had a part in pointing someone to Jesus Christ? It's a good question for all of us to answer. I mean, are we concerned about where people will spend eternity? Do you give to missions? Are you concerned about getting the gospel out to a lost and dying world? Is there this fruit of souls evident in your life? George Mueller said this, All believers, all believers should seek to win souls for Christ. None should be content to go, to, go alone to heaven. Let me read that again. All believers should seek to win souls for Christ. None should be content to go alone to heaven. Hey, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. I'm glad I've got my ticket. The thing is, is we're also supposed to be sharing that ticket with others. And one of the fruits of a believer is that we would care about others. There's so much that we're willing to give the gospel. That we're willing to try to produce fruit. And we can't do it on our own, of course. We need the Lord's help. So, in your life, as we consider this fig tree this morning. Where's the fruit? There wasn't any fruit in the, uh, the fig tree, but you and I can be different. There can be fruit in our lives. So is there? Is it obvious to those around you that there is fruit in your life? Jesus said that we would be known by our fruits. So today, I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer or went forward during a crusade or what church you were a member of. I'm asking today, is there fruit in your life? Is there evidence of the fact that you've indeed been born again? Someone asked this question, and it's a good way to say it. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there fruit in your life? Is it there? Or is it just sadly missing? Say, man, I've been saved for a long time. I mean, I'm coming to church, but I mean, there's no real fruit in my life. There, there's not really the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I'm kind of like respond fleshly to every pressure that comes into my life. And do I care about people? <laughs> no. They bother me. It's like that old cartoon you bother me, kid. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we need to, where is the fruit? Maybe you're not really born again this morning, and you need to take care of that today. I want to encourage you, the greatest decision you can ever make is the decision to believe on Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've never made that decision, today is the day. Look, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You're not guaranteed another day, so make this decision today. But maybe you have been born again, and you have stopped growing in your Christian life. It's time to get growing again. Start abiding in Christ so you'll begin producing the right type of fruit. So where's the fruit? I hope it's there. If not, let's make some decisions so that it can be there. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for... 
the opportunity to look into this little passage of Scripture. God, I pray that you'd help us to take heed to the lessons here. Lessons that externals aren't really all that impressive to you. That you care more about the condition of our heart than you do about our outward appearance. Not to say that there's nothing in the Word of God about our outward appearance, so there is. But ultimately, Lord, you care most that we have our internal right, the inside of the cup that is cleansed. And Lord, help us to put more effort and energy in making sure that the inside of our life is cleansed and right before you. Lord, help us to produce fruit. And Lord, we know we can't do it on our own. We have to abide in you. And when we do, we are able to produce great and mighty fruit. Much fruit, more fruit, fruit that would remain. Lord, that's our desire, is to bear fruit for you so that you would receive great glory. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's not saved, that has never trusted you as their Savior, never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the greatest day of their life. May they come to Jesus and be born again. And for those of us who have, Lord, help us to be faithful to abide in you so we might be able to glorify you by bearing much fruit. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed. Miss Pat, would you mind begin playing? And as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat. As the Lord has spoken to your heart, It's a good question to ask. Where's the fruit? Is there fruit in your life? What kind of fruit is it? The Lord is a fruit inspector. He's going to come one day and check our fruit. Is there fruit there? 